Welcome to the Project DIY Hunter Podcast. If you're thinking about hunting DIY or if you've been hunting DIY for a long time, this podcast is for you. We invite you to join us as we seek to gain knowledge to continue to be successful DIY hunters. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. So what is going on? This is another episode from Project DIY Hunter Podcast. I got Donovan and Kenny here with me. We're going to talk some uh, turkey talk. Kenny, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. How's COVID treating you? It sucks, <laughs> but we're going to make it. So, um, Donovan, you want to go in and, and tell a little bit about your hunting history and kind of some recent stories, that some stuff that happened recently? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I've been hunting since I was about 14 years old. Um, turkey hunting is, uh, has always been a big part of my life. Uh, I had, uh, the privilege of having the wait, the late, uh, Wyman Kellett introduced me to turkey hunting and, uh, that's where it sparked my interest and I kind of took things that he taught me and ran with it. Uh, I believe I was 15 when I killed my first turkeys. And I've always learned a little something every year. And that's, that was, that's always been my goal was to try to take something from this year that I, and learn something new to apply it to the next year and the next year. Um, and now I'm able to do the same with uh, my daughter, uh, which, you know, kind of leads me into what happened recently. Uh, she was able to take her first turkey yesterday on the, the youth hunt. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, Wyman Kellett was an awesome guy for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of a legend of this area. Um, I seen that. I think his son killed one today, didn't he? His grandson did, yeah. Grandson, yep. yeah, that's right. So, you want to go in and kind of tell us a story about what happened yesterday? Yeah. So, um, start off, you know, I bought this little uh, 410 shotgun. It's a little Stevens Model 301 410 single shot. Uh, bought it because I knew it would be low recoil for her. Um, went through a lot of uh, research on different types of chokes, different types of shells to be able to shoot out of it and uh, try to get the best pattern possible. And had a little bit of a fiasco with that. I ordered a, uh, a choke from a, a company and uh, received it. It would not thread in all the way. Um, I sent it back to the original manufacturer. They they checked it and seen, said that it seemed to be okay. So um, I actually took my dial calipers and measured it once I got it back and compared it to the factory choke versus my choke. And uh, you could definitely tell there's a big difference. So I don't know if it's my gun or uh, the choke. Either way, um, we're just deciding to stick with the factory choke. I did order some uh, tungsten uh, loads, tungsten super shot loads from uh, Foxtrot Ammo. And out of the factory choke, it, it seems to do a, hold a pretty good pattern. So I was able to let her, you know, practice with that for the past month or so. And uh, she's getting used to it, how to hold it. I actually had to cut it down for her so that way she could shoulder it a little bit easier. Um, and the area we was hunting, we knew there's birds in the area. And um, we go in the day before we set a blind up. Um, so that way, I knew it was going to be tough trying to get a bird to come in range and her be able to be still enough. That's, you know, if anybody knows anything about turkey hunting, their sight's number one defense on their part. So, yeah, no, we know that all too well. Yeah, so we got a, a blind set up and um, had me, my daughter, Haley, and uh, my father-in-law. We all was piled in there, and I was able to get it all on film, which was pretty cool. And so right at daylight, we had two gobblers that struck off on, on the limb. Um, we walked in probably less than 100 yards from them. We didn't even know they, they were there. Um, that, to be honest, I could probably see where we parked, where they were at, but you know, they flew down, 
they were coming, uh, but they stayed about a hundred yards out. Um, they would gobble, wasn't real. They weren't on fire real, real hot or anything like that, but they would respond here and there, but they, uh, they had other things on their mind. They, they went off into the woods and they stayed, uh, they, they were by themselves. They didn't have any hens with them. Uh, so we sat there about 30 minutes more and I called lightly here and there and thought we heard one off in the distance. And about 10 minutes later, we saw uh, two pop up in the top of the field and they ended up seeing the decoys that we had set up, called to them and they gobbled and started strutting. And then they pretty much come running down to our setup. Took them about two minutes to get down. They come in, they beat the decoys up a little bit. Took my daughter a little bit to get on, on the on the birds because they, they kept moving around. She couldn't get steady on them. Uh, thankfully, my the gun has a little red dot scope on it. So she, I told her, said, as long as you put that dot on their head, you should be good. So uh, one of the birds was able to stay still long enough. She was able to squeeze the trigger off and put him down. So what do you think the uh, kill range is for that 410? And the reason I'm asking is I want to take my stepson this year, and he he has a 20 gauge, but I don't think he wants a 20 gauge with turkey load, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we have a 410 too, so I didn't know uh, what's the effective kill range. Well, I've been, like I said, I've been looking, uh, doing a lot of research on this gun as far as patterns and different types of load combinations and there's actually a devoted page on Facebook just for the Stevens 301 uh, 410 shotgun. Um, and a lot of people on there uh, post patterns and uh, different load combinations. And man, I'm, I actually just saw one just a second ago before I got on here. Somebody had posted it. They ranged it out. It was like 40 yards. And I mean, these things are devastating out 40, 45 yards. If I, if I had a, a good uh, choke, not the factory choke, I, I'd rather have a, an aftermarket choke because they seem to have tested and done a little bit better with certain loads. Uh, 40 yards, no, I wouldn't hesitate. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'll keep that in mind. So what, uh, what decoy was you running? Was you running uh, quarter strut jakes or full struts or what was you running? Yep. So I... I run a Dave Smith decoys and um, I had yesterday I was running particular a um, quarter strut Jake and just an upright hen. Um, I have a breeding, a breeder hen as well, but I didn't have it out. So I just had those two set up. Uh, one theory, I don't know what, if it, you know, it's just a theory that, there are a few jakes in this area where we've been hunting and uh, you know that the, one of the ones my daughter killed was a jake uh i don't know if these those two gobblers may have gotten their tails beat by some of them jakes because uh, i i have witnessed that before you know gobbler they, jakes will run a gobbler off they'll come in there and beat him up yeah that's why i'm always, I'm always leaning towards a full strut gobbler yeah. versus a quarter strut jake just because i've had them not come in because of that before yeah. but also I always whenever i set up my full strut tom i put his tail towards where i think the turkeys are coming yeah so they're sneaking up behind them i guess you know? yeah um, yeah and that what's made... your what's your thought on that um i have i've used a full strut decoy once um i don't really care for them and i'm gonna tell you why Especially if I'm trying to kill a bird for someone else or get someone else to kill a bird. If I'm hunting a dominant bird, then I don't mind using a full strut decoy. If you use a full strut and a subordinate gobbler comes in, he ain't the big dog. I have I feel that sometimes when he comes in, he sees that full strut, he gets scared and he won't come in. Um, yeah, if it is, but if it's the boss gobbler, man, he's going to come in and challenge the, the decoy, you know, and 
it'll be a bad day for him. But yeah, no, I uh, I agree with that that too. It's uh, you kind of want to increase your odds. So yeah, but I've seen you know a Tom not want to come in because I got a Jake sitting here, and I've seen it the other way too. So uh, yeah, just kind of just pick your battle at that time and what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm not above shooting a two-year-old. I'll shoot a two-year-old all day long. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. If I know there's a, a big gobbler in the area and certain one and it's a uh, private land, then I'll I have, I'll let them walk because I know that there's bigger a bigger bird in the area. I don't want to educate him. Uh, I'm going to try to increase my odds all I can to kill that bigger bird. Now, public land, it don't matter. I don't. I won't shoot a Jake, but if it, it don't matter, two year old, and he's going home with me. So, what's your go to call? What do you? Uh, what did? You, what was you using yesterday for them? I guess we're going to try to get in from early towards towards the end of the season, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I'm with dead end game calls. Uh, I I try to primarily use all their calls. Um, I, some of the only calls I've ever found that'll hold up season after season. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with these Walmart calls, the HS struts, primos, stuff like that. But I found that some of these more um, custom calls that people make, they it's a little bit better quality. And I found that, you know, the latex just seems to hold up a little bit better and the frames hold up. So um, I was using dead end game calls. It's a ghost cut diaphragm call. And then their first uh, first light, I have what's like a little uh, pot call or dive, uh, slate call. It's uh, called the pothole. Very, very quiet. Um, I can do some of those little tree yelps and get real quiet. I don't want to get real loud right off from the very beginning. Um, I can tone it down, get real quiet with it. And then I'll, uh, after it gets daylight or after they've hit the ground, I'll throw my diaphragm in and uh, start running with it. Yeah, no, it's uh, diaphragm calls. I would love to learn how to do it because I hunt with people who are amazing with diaphragm calls. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I cannot use a diaphragm call. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that they, they struggle with it. And thankfully, there's other options, you know, for, for guys that can't, you know, I've, there's a lot of people I've heard that they, uh, their gag reflex, you know, they feel like they're going to choke. Um, I remember seeing something years ago where somebody said, you know, hey, Tie a little string to, to through the the frame of the call, the the part that's flexible, and you know you feel that it feels like it's going to choke. You know, just pull it out. Like you, that way you have no issues with getting choked on it. Which I've never had that issue, but you know I have talked to some people that did. They they said I feel like I'm going to choke on it. I said, well, <laughs> what bothers me about it is it's weird. Is uh, it vibrates my tongue so hard that it vibrates my brain. Mm. So, like, my eyes jitter, so I've never got past, the, I guess, the initial getting used to it. Yeah. Because it makes me feel too weird. Yeah. So yeah. I always stick to a box call or slate call or, you know, yeah. a little thumb press. Yep. I've never tried um, the the turkey, but I've the elk call that I got um, does the same thing to me, the gag reflex. You know, i got to put it, like, right at the front of my mouth. And it's a little tougher to use it that way, um, but I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of it. Don't let them lie to you. I've heard it. <laughs> and, so what? Um, so what type of call would you recommend for somebody who's just getting into it? Somebody just getting into it, I would definitely recommend um, just a box call, uh, or as Kenny said, a uh, push button style call. Those are almost yeah. you know anyone can use them. I'm, my daughter, seven years old, she could pick it up and she can run it. Um, I've I've even got a. a a box call like a paddle call she can run it um very little practice to make it sound really good uh those would be the calls that i would go to for a new hunter um and then as you get a little experience under your belt and you want to try to get some more experience with the diaphragm you know go for it you know you're only gonna when you first pick it up you're not gonna be good yeah, that that's just plain and simple, just like anything else. First time you do it, it's not going to be great, but the more practice you get, the better you'll become. So you're trying to say I'll be able to kick you run one day? Possibly. <laughs> I ain't going to make no promises, but <laughs> no, I uh, I'm I'm a huge turkey fan. I, I love turkey hunting, and, and I uh, I kind of 
I like when people take me or I take people. To me, yeah. that's when turkey hunting's funner, you know. Yep. And uh, I'm super excited for a season this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Yesterday was first time that I was actually able to get a full hunt on film. Um, I recorded a hunt that I done last year just from my cell phone, setting it on the ground, and I got some pretty good footage. Uh, but yesterday was the first time I was actually able to set my my camera up, and um, man, that really got me excited. So I'm I, my wife, she's never killed one. Um, she, I'm going to be taking her this week uh, after it opens, and I'm going to try to get it on film. And that's going to be my goal from here on out is get all, get as many kills on film as I can. And um, that way you can just relive, relive that experience. Yeah, we're, uh, we're getting pretty big into filming here. We, uh, you know, we got the YouTube channel and stuff. We ain't really released anything yet i guess we're trying to build up a backlog so we can you yep. know start posting but uh yep. hopefully we're gonna get some good footage this turkey season we're gonna start putting it out because i got a charles ain't never killed one so hopefully we can get his first one on you know on the ground and get it on film and That'd then be- uh my stepson yep. and then my fiance she's never killed one but that's the only animal she will kill and i know she'll get one but i don't think she'll shoot after the first time Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think I think I can get her one, and then she's not gonna want to hold the gun no more. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited about it. So, what's your take on this? This is a real touchy subject because a lot of people don't don't use it. But gobbling while you're turkey hunting on private land, public land, I'd never gobble. Like using a gobble call? Yeah, on private land. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't I use it as a locator call more than anything. Um. I have tried to use it in the past as a, uh, I had some gobblers kind of hinned up per se. And I hit that gobble call to try to make them think a gobbler had come on in to me and try to get them pulled away. I never had it work on my end. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, um, but it isn't a call that I carry um, in my vest. And with that being said, I, when I first started, you know, I had about every call that Walmart and Cabela's had. I had it in my vest. Now I'm very minimum. I've got one or two diaphragms and maybe a slate call. If it's real windy, then I'll have a, a paddle or a, a box call so I can reach, cut through that wind. But other than that, that's about all I'll carry. Yeah, I know a lot of people like that too. But the reason I asked about the, uh, the gobbler call is I've seen it work. But at the same time, you know, say there, there's a gobbler with their hand up, you hit it, you make him mad, he wants to come in and start fighting. That's that's when I've seen it work. But mm-hmm. the reason I ask is it's a good way to get shot, too. Because, you know, somebody across the ridge hears you gobbling, they don't know it's you, and they're going to come out, and they can shoot your decoys just because people are stupid. So it's something oh, yeah. you really got to be careful with is uh, turkey hunting in general, but using a gobble cause is dangerous. It can be dangerous. Yeah, public land, I definitely wouldn't attempt to try to use one at all. Um, if I was going to, it would probably be private land, and that would be about it. All right, Donovan, so what do you say to somebody who's never hunted public land before who wants to start or who's never hunted turkeys at all and just wants to go so they you know, take off for public land and they have no idea what they're doing? What do you tell them? Um, well, one, if they can, try to find a mentor. Try to find somebody that will – be willing to take them and teach them. Uh, I know sometimes that's tough and uh, can't, it doesn't work out, but if that doesn't, if you can't make it happen, this is, this was what I would suggest to that first time hunter. It's just wanting to get into it to go on public land, do some scouting, do as much scouting as you can. Google maps is a, is a very good um, scouting tool of mine. Uh, there are some other hunting apps that you can get on X hunts. Uh, use that. Um, try to find what I like to look for on public land is any field that I can get near. Um, I don't necessarily have to hunt the field, but if I can find some kind of a field that I can get within a hundred yards from, uh, I try to make that a go-to spot because them birds will go to them fields at some point. Uh, maybe a, a right of way or a gas line or a power line, something like that. 
Uh, now, with that being said, you've got to keep in mind that's where a lot of people are going to probably try to go as well. So you've got to try to pick a time when maybe it's less hunted, maybe through the middle of the week, or find somewhere where it's off the beaten path. Get back in there to those locations. And, um, you know, I, I have, that's what I do when I hunt public land primarily is I find, I've got a few spots that I'll go and hit and I've only had maybe one run in with someone who had slipped in from the other side, uh, of the location where I was hunting. So I've never actually had anyone walk up on me. So that's, that would be the first tip that I would give someone who's just wanting to get into turkey hunting and go hunt public land. All right. Now that being said, what's your take on, uh, I know a lot of public land right here, we have fire breaks and there are a lot of gravel roads. And I heard this a long time ago and I've never researched it to know if it's true or not. Do turkeys eat little rocks like doves do to help digest the food? They will. So that's why they stay around gravel roads and roads and that stuff. Okay. Well, you'll find them in uh, creek bottoms as well. We, uh, me and a, a buddy of mine, he killed one years ago and we, we cut him open and he had like little, um, it's almost like little seashells from the creek. It's like little shells, um, that he had in his crawl that help helps him digest. The one that my daughter killed, uh, yesterday, it, it had clover and it had like some type of a nut, uh, acorn or, I'm not sure what kind of a nut it was, but it was, I was able to break it in half. So it was some kind of a nut. That was what he had been eating on. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I figured the nuts would be gone by now, you know? Well, these were, they, they, these weren't fresh. Where these birds had come from, they were in some hardwood. So uh, they were probably in there doing some scratching around, finding some leftover acorns or something from the fall that the squirrels or whatever had missed. And I, I don't know, maybe that's what he was eating on. Um, I do remember last year on a hunt, I was set up next to a tree first thing. And as it started getting daylight, it sounded like it was raining, but I knew it wasn't raining because there wasn't no, no rain in the forecast. Clouds, there wasn't no clouds in the sky. And then I started feeling something hitting me and I realized it was a big old black beetles. Those black beetles, they were falling out of this tree like crazy. Well, I ended up killing a bird that morning. And that bird had, his crawl was full of those beetles. So, um, I guess if you can find any location with, you know, a bunch of acorns, you know, clover, um, whenever, whenever them beetles come out, if you can find, you know, a certain location where they're at, from a tree, whatever, I would hunt that because the birds, you know, they're, they're going to go feed. They, they do have other things on their mind, but they got to eat and they got to have water. So if you can keep that in your location as well, keep that in mind, you, you feel a little bit more successful. So what, uh, what route do you think they take? They come from roost to feed to water from roost to water to feed. Uh, I think when we're hunting them, it's completely different than what they normally would do. Um, most of the time, you know, they got one thing on their mind in the spring. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that's, what, that's what they're, that's what they're going to go do. So, yeah. um, I feel midday, uh, you might can find some hitting some fields or, uh, browsing through some hardwoods, trying to maybe eat a little bit. Um, you know, when I, spoke earlier about the fields um the bugs them turkeys will get out there and bug in them fields uh, especially when it after it rains or when it's raining and uh worms come up that's a good time for them birds to be able to go out there and get them an easy meal therefore it's going to be a good setup to try to kill a bird and get in them fields uh that that's that's kind of something i always keep in the back of my mind I know it's going to be raining or something like that. I'm going to go try to hit them, them fields one, you know, because of that. And two, you know, the sound of the rain and you know, I, I guess maybe it'll affect their vision with the raindrops. I don't know, but, uh, 
that cuts down on their defense a little bit. So they're going to get somewhere where they can see a little bit better. So that way something can't sneak up on them, like a coyote or something like that. Yeah, whenever it's raining, I always know where I'm going. Right, same spot every time it's raining. If it's coming raining or it's raining now, I know exactly where I'm going. Yep. That's kind of my go-to honey hole, you know. Absolutely. And it's hard for – I want to get more public land under my belt this year for turkeys than I have in the past because, you know, there's not as many fields. It's, like you said, mainly fire breaks and roads and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's a different animal to try to chase. You know what I mean? It's not a mm-hmm. you're hunting tall pine hardwood turkeys that yep. hang out on fire breaks instead of you know fields and crop fields and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a it's a hard animal to to, to go after. And I think that's what that attracts me to it is you know it's different. Even though it's the same animal, it's you know it's in a different habitat. Oh so yeah, it's it's harder to me. And I mean they have of vast range that they can go to too. So that's my, um, that's one of the reasons I love hunting public land because if you can kill a big dominant bird off of public land, to me, you've done something because that bird's been called at. He's done heard every call in the book. If you can outsmart him and sound better than what he's already heard, then you've done something. That's what, that gives me that satisfaction when I can kill one of them birds. So what do you think about taking a, a duck call to locate? <laughs> That's something Charles is going to do. That, I, I don't see nothing wrong with that at all. I've actually seen somebody take a goose call. And yep. uh, a goose will make a turkey gobble. I've seen it. Uh, oh, yeah. I take a crow call. So what's your go-to on the uh, locate call? Um, first thing, early morning, I always hit my an owl call. Um, try to see if I can locate if I don't, it ain't no big deal. Um, sometimes birds just don't gobble on the roost. I don't know why. Um, you give it 20 minutes and the sun comes up, man, he's he's hammering. So I, I don't know why or what the rhyme or reason is, why they, they'll gobble sometimes every time you hit the alcohol. Sometimes they won't. Um, a lot of times I'll use natural sounds. I'll let the other owls or uh, birds in the area I've had a goose fly over honking and I, I've had a bird gobble. So I'll let other things let them, uh, let me help me locate where the birds are at. Um, I will use a crow call middle day or, you know, after sun's up. Um, but like I said, I'm a lot of it's going to be scouting, knowing where or where the birds or if there's birds in the area beforehand. Um, so that way I don't really have to locate because I know that they're going to be somewhere in that area. Um, that's that's my take on locator calls. Yeah, usually when I start scouting public land, it's uh, I just walk around and look for scratches and, you know, feces yep. and scat or whatever you want to call it and uh, go down that route and try to follow them because they – they're not very secretive, you know, they, they leave a trail where they go. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, and, you know, take, once you find where they've been at in the area, drop a, a pin on, on, on X or on Google maps, just remember that location and then start blowing it up and seeing what does that terrain look like? You know, see where they may go hang out, see where the water's at. Uh, you can get a really, a whole lot better feel on, what they're doing just by locating one spot where you've seen them at. Yeah. My, uh, my experience on where I turkey hunt at mainly is they do a big loop every day. Oh yeah. So even at my mom's house, you know, they roost in the same general vicinity every day, mm-hmm. but they kind of, they always fly down and walk almost the same path until something disrupts that path. And then from my experience, you know, in the regular season, I'm not saying, during a strut, you know, you got all kinds of stuff going on, but they're going to, they're not going to deviate too much from that unless something makes them. Yeah. Cause they know where the food is. They don't want to go looking for food every day right. in a new area. So they're going to, it's kind of like a deer, you know, a whitetail will do the same path for three days before he changes it up. So to me, I feel like they kind of have the same instinctive pattern yep. to them too. Something that, uh, with that being said, you know, as far as their patterns being the same, nothing changing. Uh, the only thing I've seen or found that will throw that off is once turkey season hits, especially public land, 
and people start messing with them. And the more calling they hear, they start going call shy. Um, they may start avoiding areas because they've been messed with, or maybe they saw their buddy get shot on public land and they're going to try to, you know, they, they may throw their, their route off a little bit. Yeah, they are, uh, they're the stupidest, smartest bird I've ever seen. Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely love chasing them, but man, they make me more mad than I think my kids can. Yep. I mean, I've had, I've had wanted to have fits before and just throw my tree, throw my gun against a tree and just take off running, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Something about a turkey. I mean, it's, uh, I didn't start turkey hunting until, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago, I guess. And, uh, man, it's addictive. It is so addictive. Like, Charles, you're going to love it. Like, I am hope I'm there. I mean, I've enjoyed it the little bit I've done. I hope I'm there when you shoot your first one. Just, you think you like it until you shoot one and you're, you can't stop the flock. Man, it's that flock gets you going. I'm gonna tell you, my my daughter, uh, she killed that one yesterday, and all day today she's been on YouTube watching turkey hunts. So she, I believe she's hooked. <laughs> I can't wait to take my stepson. He shot his first deer this year with his daddy, and uh, hopefully, I can be there for his first turkey. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's going to be a memorable moment for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how does that? How does the whole youth day stuff work? I know it's like what the the weekend before. Yeah, generally it's the weekend before. Uh, they used to only have it one day. It used to just be the Saturday before opening day of season. Um, now they have it where it's Saturday and Sunday. Um, I looked it up. I believe you can actually hunt public land on that Saturday, and then you can also hunt Sunday. You know, private land only. But you have the two days now. It's the youth hunt weekend is what they call it, I guess. So that way, you know, gives the younger kids a, a be- better opportunity and advantage to be able to go out and try to kill a bird, um, which is, you know, that's our future on hunting, you know, try to get them involved. So Yeah, because, I mean, when we get older, we're still going to be fighting for the right to hunt like we are now. But, you know, we want to – we kind of want to take the fight for them too, so – they're not pushed out of it by people that's just always on them about how hunting is bad. Oh yeah. So definitely, you know, get them in at a young age so they can learn the passion and I guess start living the life because it's definitely a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a hobby. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, like I said, I'm super appreciative of uh, Wyman Kellett for taking me. Uh, he took me and Derek when we was young and uh, we'd go out and went with him a few times and, you know, just listen to him call and different techniques on how to hunt them. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Never, never killed nothing while I was with him, but just taking what he taught and just running with it. And if, you know, if someone's really into it and they really want to learn just like anything else, you just soak up everything you can, um, you know, watch, watch these hunting videos and stuff like that, learn techniques and, uh, just run with it. No, it's, uh, I'm super happy you come on today and talked about, you know, how you do it and, you know, your take on stuff. Uh, I guess what's your most memorable turkey other than your daughter's? I know that's going to be number one for a long time, but. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say my most memorable uh, hunt would probably be probably the biggest bird I've ever killed. Uh, actually, I killed two. It was back when we could kill more than one bird a day. Um, I was hunting public land. Uh, I've been chasing these birds. I was two. been chasing them for a week and uh couldn't connect they kept they was hinned up couldn't get them to come in uh it really took some discipline because a lot of people will just sit there and just call and call and call and just wear them out just because they want to hear them gobble yeah sometimes you got to shut up yeah and that was what something that i learned and it was something i was going to touch on a little bit later is just Backing out, be quiet, and just backing out. He'll be there another day, hopefully, if it's meant to be. Um, I actually, I backed out, went to another spot for about an hour or two. I come back, went up the creek towards where they were walking, about two, 300 yards, and had to climb a hill. And just so happened, well, as soon as I crested the hill, they were standing right there. Well, I spooked them. They took off line. And I said, okay, well, I know where they're hanging out. I know their area. So I went back about five days later one morning and uh, 
they were they were up where I had spooked them, and they it was near a field. I was able to actually call call them out into the field. Once they saw the decoys, man, they came running. Um, I killed the the one at he was about ten yards away, and the other one flew and dropped back down. He was maybe about fifty yards out. I shot both of them, and I actually got one of them mounted. Um, and uh, they both had multiple beards. Uh, the biggest one had five, a total of five beards. Uh, I can't remember spur lengths. The one I got mounted, he had two very distinct beards, um, totaling 18 inches. And so I, I got him mounted. That's a, that's a, that's a toad. Oh yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that was probably my most memorable because it, you know, I had a little bit of, uh, I guess history with them because I was able to mess with them the one weekend and then go back and finally connect and finish the deal a few days later. So. Yeah. And, you know, there again, it was very dominant birds or I'm not, I don't know about dominant, but they were old. So they've been around. They've heard some calls. So for me to be able to outsmart them, whereas other people has been messing with them, it gave me a little bit more satisfaction on the hunt. Yeah. Taking anything mature, I don't care how big it is, is, is a good feeling. Oh, yeah. I mean, I shot a deer. Uh, two years ago here and he was on his decline i mean he was like six years old no teeth i mean it was mm. and he still had a good rack but i got more more satisfaction out of him than i would than i did my ohio deer oh yeah it's just because i mean when you outsmart you know somebody that old i mean feel like you know what you're doing i guess yep absolutely when i when it comes to deer hunting for me i'm a i say i'm a trophy hunter but i'm really not like the trophy i'm chasing is a mature animal yeah yeah not just not just horns you know Right. With age, the horns comes with it. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it kind of comes with it. But uh, yeah. I just, I, I don't know. There's something about shooting two, three-year-old deer I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of. And, I mean, I'll do it depending on where I'm at. But at the same time, I don't like doing it as much. So I, I, I tend to let a lot of deer walk because of that. And yeah. when it comes to turkeys, <clears throat> I don't have enough under my belt, I guess, to sit back and wait for, the three or four year old when a two year old with a 12 inch beer standing in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel, I don't know, around here, it's a little bit different on for that deer and turkey. Um, I feel that with a turkey, you know, a, a two year old, you know, they'll, they're going to respond. They're going to come in. Um, but, you know, it's still a nice bird. And you get a three or four, even a four year old, you know, you've done something. Around here for deer, I mean, you've got you really got to invest some time and patience on a buck for him to actually develop into something that's going to be nice uh, and that's if he makes it you know because yeah unless you've got just a bunch of land to be able to let that deer walk it's tough uh, if you don't have several landowners around you all on the same page and I mean, it really makes it tough yeah especially around here where everybody hunts every five acres they can yep which i mean that's kind of that's the area we live in. Not, not many huge plots of land, you know, it's, it's yeah, kind of few and far between. Yep. Yep. So what is, I know you said earlier you have multiple tips. You only gave us one. So we're going to backtrack a little bit and figure out what other tips you, uh, you were talking about giving the listeners. Well, the one, like I said, scout, uh, know the area. Uh, that, that would be my number one go-to. Uh, number two is, don't call too much, you know, call. If he responds, then just be quiet. Uh, as long as you call and he gobbles or responds every single time, then just, just ease off on the calling because he's coming. He he's interested. He will be there. Um, I've seen that a time or two where it's, it's messed me up. Definitely. Um, you know, I, you, everybody likes hearing him call and gobble and you just keep, pounding away on the call and listening to them gobble. And, um, you know, they, they'll sit out there and gobble all day long at you. Uh, my thing is, is I want him coming to me. I have seen him running or walking and gobble at the same time, but most of the time when he gobbles, he's going to stop. As long as he's walking towards me and I know he, he ain't going to be gobbling. So, yeah. um, the way I think about that is I ain't mean to cut you off is uh, 
I guess you get them hooked, but then you got to reel them in. Yeah. So, you know, you're calling, you're calling, you're all excited. You're like, he's talking to me. Then you're like, wait a minute. Why ain't he talking to me no more? Where'd he go? Yeah. I'm going to go find out why he ain't talking to me. Yeah. That's kind of the way I think about it. So they're, you know, you shut up and they're like, well, why ain't he talking to me? Now I'm sad. I'm going to go see what's yep. going on. And I actually, I killed a bird like that a couple of years ago. I'd, I'd messed with this bird. He'd done the same thing every time I hunted this place. Uh, it was a small tract of land. It was about seven, eight acres. But there was birds around the area. And uh, they would roost down on the creek off the property I could hunt. And they would go up the creek away from me every time. Um, so this particular morning, and I'd always set off about 100 yards off the property line. Um, I started calling, got him wound up, and I just was quiet. Well, I called again, and he still was over at the creek. I said, okay, he's doing the same. He's, he's reading the script, just like he has been the whole season. So I went to the very edge of the property, as close to him as I could get. I called, got him wound up, got him excited. And then I backed off, walking away from him, calling. So it made it sound like the hen was leaving him. Man, that bird, I about couldn't get sat down fast enough because he come running. Yeah, so I had a, a similar experience. Um, obviously, I didn't kill the bird because I never shot one. But um, I had one gobbling back at me and talking to me. And um, I could not get it to cross the creek. I mean, it wasn't a huge creek. You know, it was um, probably eight foot wide maybe but i could not get this bird to cross the creek and this creek run um long ways with um the property that i was hunting and um i could not get him to come across that creek to me so i don't know what i was doing wrong or well i've heard it's really hard to get him to cross water or to come uphill um that's two myths i kind of want to hit yeah so now i've heard the opposite on the hill part i've always heard that it if you can get uphill on a bird, that's what you want to try to do because they'll come uphill, um, which I have had both scenarios and they've come, I've had one come down a hill and I've had them come up a hill. So, I mean, that to me, it really don't matter to me. Um, and the creek, I've had several fly, jump, hop over creeks to get to me. Um, so I really think it's, how much you call to him and how interested he is. If that bird, if you're sitting there calling to him and he, and so he's in his mind, he's saying, okay, this hen's interested in me. Well, I've got this Creek and I'm going to let her come to me or see how far she'll come to me before I have to do my part and go, go to her. Uh, that may be the mood he's in. I don't know. I've had, like I said, I've called, had him 200 yards away and I've watched him. They, he about tripped over his beard trying to get across the creek to get to me. So I've seen it play out both ways. Uh, I really think it's the mood and what scenario is and how he's feeling that day. So the one thing I do want to ask, and I've seen it 400 million different times in different ways too. When you got the proverbial proverbial uh, Tom hung up 100 yards out with a hen, what's your go-to are you going to cut and run to get them to come in or like what's your go-to get them excited enough to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Cause that was going to be my next go, uh, tip. And that's, I don't call to him. I'm going to start calling to the hen that he's got with him. I'm going to get her mad. What I'll do is I'll start cutting real loud and just carrying on. And then I'll be quiet. And then I'll start back up cutting real loud. And what I'll do sometimes is I'll do a sequence where there's, it sounds like there's two hens carrying on. Um, I'll use a box call or a slate along with my diaphragm. That way that hen, she hears me carrying on. And most of the time it'll get her wound up and I'll get her good and mad. And every time she goes to cutting or yelping, I'll do the same thing. I've had it more times than not she will start coming on in to investigate to see all right what other woman's in my area and then he'll trail right along with her yeah that's that is a good tip that you brought up because i've seen it work i've seen people 
do the cutting and get the hen all mad, get the hen come running, and then the tom just happens to follow her right in because, you know, that's that's his safety for that moment, you know? Yep. So, yeah, all this reminds me of the uh, story of when I took one of my good friends, Jonathan, to kill his first his first bird. And, uh, man, he was so excited. But we were sitting there, and I'm on the edge of this field. It just got done raining. And these two jakes are out here raising immortal hail. And they finally come in, and I swear they're five yards in front of us. And they're sitting there for an hour, five yards in front of us. Like, you can't do anything. Well, finally – they go behind this tree that's fell down and I get him to turn. And when he popped up, he shot, he shot this bird probably 10 yards away, but I've never been that close to, you know, two, two Jake's that had no idea where we were within five. I mean, I could probably touch them a couple of times when he walked by and just that feeling is, Oh man, it's ungodly. Like just up close and personal is what I love about turkey hunting. Which that's a big reason why I'm a bow hunter when I, you know, bow hunt for deer is I like up close the person. I want to see how close I can get to them. Now, I don't want them to step on me because them things, you know, they're five yards in front of you. They look like they're four foot tall and they can hurt you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is kind of, it's pretty sketchy too at the same time. Oh, yeah. But uh, especially when you shoot one and you see them attack the other one, which I still don't get why that happens. But as soon as you shoot one, if there's another one there, it's a Jake or something, he's probably going to jump on his head. Oh, yeah. Which uh, makes you wonder about their friendships. Like, I don't think they're really that close of friends. <laughs> yeah and kind of makes you wonder how you know just how smart are they <laughs> yeah oh i mean and that's what i said about earlier it's the dumbest smartest bird you ever meet i have no idea why you can't go kill one every time because when it works it's like oh my god yep but then there's times that you want to pull your hair out is because he's seen you from 200 yards away because you wiped your nose off mm-hmm. Like their their eyesight, and that's one thing I want to stress is their eyesight is incredible. Absolutely, the hearing ain't worth a crap, but their eyesight is amazing. So get behind cover. Do not. One thing that I do do that another tip that I want to throw in on top of what Dom said is, let's say I'm hunting the edge of a field, I don't want where the turkeys are coming from, my decoys and me all to be in a line because I don't want. I kind of want them to look through. I don't want them to look through the decoys and see me moving. So I always try to kind of set up to the side. So if he's looking at the decoys, he's not looking at me. Yep. You know? And you can't do that all the time. But when you, I guess when you, in, in different scenarios you get into, you know roughly where they're coming from. So you can set up and, you know, kind of get them that way. Because I've been busted visually more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. You, you know, their sight is going to be, that's their number one defense. And... Um, you know, with that being said, it kind of, kind of lead into another topic or tip that I would give is, you know, it kind of ties into the not calling too much. Um, and it's, it's always, you know, just sit and just wait it out. Um, usually whenever I, I'm at a location and I feel that I'm it's about time to wrap it up, I always tell myself, all right, 15 more minutes and then I'll go. Uh, more times than not, I've had something happen, whether a bird gobble or a bird come in uh, to the setup within those 15 minutes. Because, and in those 15 minutes, I don't call at all. It's just silence. And um, I've had a lot of times where I can see from a road where I'm able to set up or where I've been hunting. I'll be sitting there calling, not hear or see anything. I'll pack things up, head out, go ride around. I'll ride by that spot and look, and there's a bird right there where I had been hunting. And my only theory is, okay, well, he was interested. And finally, I shut up long enough, and it got him more interested, so he come on in. So if you just take that and use that tactic while you're hunting, I think you'll be a little bit more successful as well. Yeah, I've actually seen that. I'm happy you said that because I forgot all about that. Um, I've seen a lot of, you know, older birds come in quiet. Oh, yeah. They're not gobbling. They're not doing anything. They just, all of a sudden, boom, birds right here in the decoys. You have no idea where you come from. And I, th- I think it's it comes with, you know, with their age and being smart. So even if you don't see a bird or you don't hear one, don't, you know, sit out here and do the worm. Because there could be one coming right behind you, just coming in quiet. You you don't see them, and you scare them off. 
Mm-hmm. So always act like you're hunting, even if you don't see anything. Right. So when you're walking through the woods, walk slow, you know, keep your movements down, all that. Cause I've, I've had quite a few just sneak up on me. Oh yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. I think we're going to wrap it up with that. Um, Donovan, thank you for coming on with us. I'm sure the listeners got a lot of info and um, stuff from, from this conversation. And if they have any more questions, um, you can email us at project hunter at gmail.com. Then we also have a Instagram project underscore DIY underscore hunter, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, um, all those are project DIY hunter. And I also wanted to give Donovan a second to um, talk about dead end game calls. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I pro staff with dead end game calls, uh, Mitchell Johnston. He's the owner. Um, he's won the national, uh, competition calling competition, uh, several years back and man, superb caller. Uh, he's one that makes all, most all the calls that, that they produce. Um, look them up. They got a website. You can give them a call, find them on Facebook. Um, Tell them I sent you, man, really check out their calls. Cause I'm telling you, I, I've, I've used a lot of calls in the industry and, uh, there's just something about these particular calls that I just, they're my go-tos. Um, they hold up year after year. I don't have to, I see that I don't have to buy calls every single year. Like I used to have to, um, which is, you know, really good. You know, you just take care of them, you know, at the end of the season, I usually, put my wrap them up and put them in the refrigerator or something, keep them cool. Um, and then take them out the next season and they're, they're ready to go. Also, uh, there's a couple other, um, affiliates that I'm with, uh, Horn and Finn Outdoors. Uh, you can look them up. They just, it's kind of a, just a self self film, uh, organization. They're trying to get some films out there on uh, YouTube. Um, you can look them up and, uh, see what they've got. And also, uh, sling and stitches apparel pro staff with those as well um they got some pretty cool apparel and that you can check out yeah that's awesome um thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for some more episodes